Welcome, everybody. Uh, we have people chiming in from all over the world here. I'm Andrew Rube, uh, the Scott Mead Family Head Coach of Harvard Men's Tennis. And it's my pleasure to welcome and moderate this uh, webinar today with these all-star panelists. Uh, I'm so grateful that you're spending your time with us today. Um, the idea for this event actually can be traced back about eight years ago when I was um, at Dr. Lair's Human Performance Institute in Florida. I'd gone down to take Lorenzo's coaching workshop and was just totally blown away by what I learned in the course. And Paul was also there doing some consulting at the time. And I remember at some lunch break or something, pulling Paul aside and says, we, we've got to get you guys up to Harvard so people can hear this. And of course, it, it took eight years. And you know we're kind of on Zoom here. We're not quite at Harvard. But uh, here we are today. And um, uh, we're just you know, so excited to hear this conversation. Um, that's coming. So let me introduce quickly the panelists. Um, we'll start with uh, Dr. Jim Lair, um, who many people call the godfather here of modern sports psychology. He's the co-founder of the Johnson & Johnson Human Performance Institute, author of close to 20 books, including his most recent, which is called Leading with Character, which I highly recommend. Um, he's worked with dozens of world number one athletes. I mean, the list goes on. Um, we're just so grateful for, for you to join us today, Dr. Lair. Thank you. It's an honor to be with everybody, and I'm, I'm excited to interact with all of you and hope we create some value for everyone who's tuning in. Great. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to introduce Paul Wiley here, who should be familiar to our audience, having graduated from Harvard in the class of 1990. He's also a Harvard Business School graduate, Olympic silver medal figure skater, um, longtime corporate consultant, and now the director of the Lake Placid Olympic Training Center. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, and finally, uh, Lorenzo Beltrame here, who's currently the mental performance uh, director of the Italian Tennis Federation. He's a member of their David, Davis Cup coaching team. Um, Lorenzo has worked with Dr. Lair for 22 years, I think, at HPI, uh, where they work with hundreds of top athletes and, and, and corporate executives. Um, he's also very familiar with the, the Harvard Athletic Facility and community because he's worked with uh, nine varsity teams uh, and as a mental performance consultant. Uh, he's also the father of our tennis captain in 2017. So welcome, Lorenzo. Thank you, Andrew. Is uh, Thank you for having me. Great pleasure to be here with this group of friends. and. Uh, and it's an honor to speak in front, uh, even though you don't see them, uh, this kind of incredible audience. Thank you. Um, so we're gonna start off today with the discussion on the lessons we learned from sports, and then we're gonna sort of move in, and talk about how we translate those lessons into the workplace. And I'll be sprinkling in some questions throughout. So if the audience has some questions, please, um, there, there's actually a Q&A button there on the bottom of your screen that you can use to, to ask a question. So let's jump right in. And Dr. Lair, we're gonna start with you. And based on all of your research and years of experience, um, talk to us about how sports um, can develop character. And since that's been central to your mission at HPI and in all your writings. Yeah, it's a very, uh, it, it's a very uh, challenging issue. Um, we'd like to think that sports uh, participation and competitive stress will automatically lead to character development and character strengths. The research does not support that, unfortunately. There's a whole area of research and it's called bracketed morality. 
And that means that the normal rules for moral and ethical behavior are suspended in this arena. And um, there is a very strong kind of uh, ethos that is developed by some coaches who believe mm -hmm. just like in war, the normal rules for ethical and moral behavior are suspended. But even there, there are those that say there is a moral and ethical way to wage war. But for some coaches, you know, anything that you can do that will advance the agenda of winning is okay. And uh, so winning um, is the only thing that matters. When you have coaches that say that, then, you know, you get everything from deflate gate, you get uh, uh, people trying to steal uh, signals from uh, a catcher, you know, it goes on and on. And uh, maybe tripping someone when you know the ref is not looking, cheating, line calling, the, the objective is to win and to actually get away with as much as you can and not get caught. So what that translates into in later life is you kind of go in the same way as you're chasing the mountain. On the other hand, you have coaches who say that's not how they operate. And in fact, if they believe that the scorecard first and foremost must uh, be addressing the moral and ethical development of the players on that team or in that individual sport, and that's where they place their greatest emphasis, the whole thing changes. And that is a fertile ground. All of the failures, all of the hardships, all of the injuries can be really, really leveraged to uh, build these remarkable character strengths that will carry them through for the rest of their life. And that is the problem we face because coaches make the difference. Mm -hmm. Parents tend to also follow whatever the coaches say. And if we don't have the right scorecard, what we're doing for people is setting them up for a, uh, really um, a world that may actually be, you know, very, very uh, brutal in terms of confronting the moral and ethical issues they're going to face for the rest of their life. Yeah. Yeah. And then if, if they're not going to learn it in sports, I mean, this is what a great vehicle for this. Uh, I, I know, Paul, I mean, you, you as a competitor, did you have that sort of framework of personal development? I mean, I don't know if you were working with the doc at the time, but is that something that you, how you looked at your athletics as, as character development? Well, true story. I, the first time I ever met Dr. Lair was when I was 15 or 16. I think I was a junior world champion. And a friend said, you know, you should really see this guy. <laughs> and um, so uh, it was fantastic. Uh, I lived in Denver at the time. But um, I think that uh, my, my parents were very uh, insistent that, you know, I think through, um, you know, what, you know, skating meant in my life, but in, in a, in, not in a vacuum, but more as a part of a whole context. And I think that that was, was the beginning of that. And, and I, my coaches were, they were also on that same page where the character piece of it was important. And I think one of the things that I learned from Dr. Lair, especially at the Human Performance Institute, is that this, <clears throat> this growth that you expect and want from yourself isn't just physical. It's also mental, emotional, and, and spiritual in some, in some level at that, that sort of highest cognition level. And so the, the sense of character development was always a piece of what I was expecting to get out of skating. 
And, you know, there's no sport where you fall more probably. <laughs> and, and so you're, you're falling and getting up and it's a very real thing. Um, and then oftentimes you're falling in front of way too many people and it's embarrassing, but it, there's a reminder, okay, I gotta, you know, improve myself and you can't kick the ice or, you know, you know, flip off the judges um, or those kinds of things, you know, those are, those things are not allowed. but also your growth is, you know, it's not just about being a better skater or, or winning. It's about, you know, how did you handle this moment? And, you know, you might have, you know, been sent home at the end of a season um, and things didn't go well. I mean, the season before the Olympics in, uh, in 91, I, you know, barely made the cut for the, the free skate. Um, I was 20th and they took 20, uh, from the short program to the long program. And, you know, I basically, it, it was almost the end of my career. And I can remember rollerblading with my college roommate um, along the Charles River day after day, just trying to, you know, get myself back to the mindset of it's still possible, even though the year before the Olympics, I, you know, laid an egg at the world championship, it's still possible for me to make the Olympic team, let alone. Mm-hmm win a medal, you know? And so I think that, and, and I think that that is that grit or whatever, you know, when you have to bounce back from something that you learn from sport that you really can't learn in a lot of other places. So, um, and, and I, and I really, that, that particular moment in my life was very formative and, and helped me to, you know, kind of get ready for the next step. So. That's, that's great, Paul. And, and that's a great, you know, personal story there. Um, for Lorenzo here, I want to ask you, and I, I'm going to pull a quote um, that uh, Dr. Lair references in his in his new book that was from Henry David Thoreau, um, another Harvard grad here. Uh, it says, you cannot dream yourself into character. You must hammer and forge yourself one. What does the process of forging character look like in sports and, and the work that you do or the, you know, the Harvard athletes you work with? Um, yes, um, years ago when uh, I was working uh, with Dr. Lur, we, 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 you know, under his guidance and mentorship, we, we noticed that uh, building character had to be the mission of competitive sports and framing uh, the competitive career of an athlete as a vehicle to build yourself in a stronger, more functional uh, person was actually the motivation that had to lead the process. And so because of my background of coaching, I had to find a way that was very, very practical for me to be able to uh, help my athletes uh, become following that direction. And so I, I started with uh, uh, observation, this, uh, the, the definition of character that Aristotle gives, where basically character is the sum of all the virtues then that a um, individual habitually demonstrates. So there is a, a physical demonstration of equality and is habitual. And so to me, it, it occurs to me that developing character um, through sport is basically has to follow pretty much the same way uh, we develop a technical skill. Uh, we have to identify the better way to do it, and then we have to do a lot of repetition. And uh, if we can do, uh, if we can duplicate the best way under all the circumstances, then becomes a habit, and then becomes character. And so, to me. Uh, basically, building character is about, uh, is about every day uh, bringing your best possible attitude to any circumstances that you're dealing with. And attitude to me is basically a, uh, the base of character. 
You know, attitude is the way you act, the way you carry yourself, the way you talk, the way you talk inside your head with your inner voice. Um, and uh, and uh, it is uh, basically, it can be modulated by willpower. So if I decide to bring a certain type of attitude into a scene, I can do it because it's 100% under my control. And if I can do it over and over in more challenging circumstances, then little by little, I put the uh, basis to build something more permanent that then eventually becomes character. And so, you know, to me, uh, when, I, when I work with my athletes, you know, the athletes that are at Harvard uh, among them, but we talk quite a bit of uh, the importance of self-awareness, the importance of awareness of the environment in which we will going to compete. And so I, I asked them after they identify the values, their beliefs, and they identify their best self in action. I asked them to uh, every day to identify the challenges that they will face in, uh, in the environment in which they will perform and uh, the challenges that can affect them mentally, emotionally, and uh, motivationally. And then I asked them to basically script the way they want to act, the way they want to be held by their own inner voice in that circumstance to create the best possible performance. And so to me, building character uh, through sport, it is basically, um, yeah, it's almost building technical skills. You know, every day you go out there and you try to bring to life your best possible attitude. Some days is easier, some days is almost impossible, but the effort that you put into the space, uh, build character strength and eventually build the person that you are. Oh, that's great. Um, and, and Dr. Lair, I mean, how did you stumble upon this character development piece for your sports training? I mean, you're working with number one in the world athletes, you know, do they want to hear about character development? They just want to hear about you, the wins on the scoreboard or how do you get them to buy into this, it's your, a, your it's process? A great, it's a great question, Andrew. And it, you know, I'll have to tell you, it came by accident. This was not something I learned in my training as a psychologist. It really was something that evolved over, over all the years of my work in collecting data and all the work in collecting data that we did at the Human Performance Institute, which was probably up to around 400,000 people now today. The data led us there, that we were looking for things that actually sustained success not just a flash in the pan, but things that actually drove success in a, in a way that was manageable for a long time. And what the data showed us was that even though these are what we might refer to as soft issues, like honesty right. and integrity and kindness and compassion and warmth and authenticity and uh, humility, you think, how does that relate to competitive success? The way you treat others has a profound effect on the way you see yourself. I call it the hidden scorecard that I had no clue actually was ongoing, but we had countless people going to the top of the mountain and feeling very empty, feeling like, is this what it's all about? I mean, I, I thought I was gonna be a whole lot happier, more feeling more successful, my self-esteem would be solid. And they realized they were only as solid as their last performance. And they had, they became addicted to that process of winning. And if they didn't win, it was a catastrophe. 
And even if they won, they had, it wasn't long before that had to kick in again. And that's how they proved their, their value. And then there was another whole group that had a very different feeling about who they were as a human being. And they didn't have to win to feel like a decent human being. And that's because of the way they actually manifested their, their competitive spirit through other people, their treatment of just about everyone who they were around, in some way they represented integrity, honesty, strength of character in terms of their interactions with others. And that scorecard is probably the most important. And at the end of your life, you'll see this is the one that actually matters to you most and what you put on your tombstone. That's probably gonna be what you want are those issues of integrity and honesty and caring and loving and kind and so forth. But we don't teach that as a coach, unless you're in an extraordinarily different, you know, kind of, you know, category of thinking. But we have people who, like John Wooden, Coach K, Billy Donovan, there are coaches who have figured out how to win with character. I wrote a book, The Only Way to Win. The only way to win and sustain it at the top and feel fulfillment is to win with character and to lose with character and to use every single element of competitive stress and competitive mm -hmm. storms to build the strength that will carry them through the rest of their life. And they will win more with that and they'll win on the inside, which is really the scorecard that matters. And that's, that's just gold right there, thank you. Um, Paul, we, you were, when we were talking sort of prepping for this, you told the story about sort of, you know, this on the same topic of this sort of character piece about when you were sort of interviewed before one of the trials and, and, and where you were and, and what happened. Um, can you talk us through your, your, your sort of story and, and how it relates to kind of the lessons from character that you've learned? Yeah, I mean, I think what the story you're referring to is, uh, so at the uh, Olympic trials in 1991, which was for the 92, games and this was after that sort of disastrous world championship performance I uh, I noticed that the New York Times reporter was going to ask me the first question of the press conference I was there with the other contenders and I was kind of okay well that's great and um, uh, and uh, so he said Paul Wiley what are you doing here <laughs> and um, I don't think it was an existential question you know like you know ponti pontificate on the meaning of your life <laughs> uh, I think he was asking a rhetorical question like what the heck do you think, how do you even deign to show up after the egg you laid at the world championship last year? And that was the question that a lot of people were asking. Um, and I think that, you know, it comes, it, it comes back to the, 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 the question that you have to ask yourself, is this only about my results? Is this only about what happened last year or what could happen in, you know, this weekend or in five weeks when I could be at the Olympics? You know, it's about growth. It's about, you know, this is my sport and um, I love doing it. And I'm trying to reach personal goals within that sport. And the results are a little bit, you know, obviously they are a benchmark and I want, I want to make the Olympic team. I want to, right. you know, get to the top of the podium, but at some level, this is a personal uh, iterative process, you know, and, and it's taken, and for me, it took a long time 
to, to get myself to the level of performing under the pressure, those elements that were the hardest for me. And uh, so, but, so I had another shot at it and that's basically what I expressed to him was, this is my one last chance to prove that I can do it to myself. And, and uh, you know, I, I did, I made that team by one tenth of a point. Um, the, you know, the international committee deliberated for an hour <laughs> on whether they should send me to Alberville. And then five weeks later, I, you know, won the silver medal. So it's just, you never know what, what time, the, what timeline you're on. Uh, and, and so the results, I think sometimes you have to uh, create a good separation from yourself right. and the results, which I think is what Jim was talking about. You 100%. know, where, it can't just be about, you know, oh, I won or I lost today. Um, you know, then because if that is the equation for your own self-worth, you know, then you're going to wind up with 20 gold medals and being depressed. Yeah, it's what I say. Who are, you, who are you? Yes. Who are you becoming as a consequence of the chase? What kind of human being? And I'm guessing that, Paul, you would have You'd have been fine if you hadn't won a silver medal. That was icing on the cake. But skating was a gift to you and added so much depth and dimension to your life. You never would have traded it, regardless of how it all ended up as far as a gold medal or a silver yeah. medal. Absolutely. And in fact, after I had the performance at nationals, you know, when I stepped off the ice before they deliberated, you know, after I saw those marks, I changed into my street clothes and I thought, you know what? And I had this conversation, um, a bit of a prayer, which is, you know what, I'm grateful and thankful for what happened in this sport. And, you know, that's the end of my career. If it is, I'm, I'm good with that. Like I mm. learned a lot. I was able to, I was blessed many more in many more ways uh, than most athletes. I was able to go to Harvard. I was a graduate. I was going to move on to other things. And then the woman comes in, who's the publicist and says, what are you doing in your street clothes? You're supposed to be on, you know, in the award ceremony right now. And, you know, so I think you have to have that ability to, um, you know, release yourself from those results and say, it's, it's worth it for other reasons, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's just great. Um, and Lorenzo, I've got a question for you that actually comes up a lot with our current students and even our recent alums. And, and they often struggle in an interview to articulate the, the lessons that they learn through sports and, and how that prepares them for the business world. So if you're in an interview, you know, and you, maybe you didn't have as much work, real world work experience, but you've been through sports, you've learned all these lessons, how would you relay that to an interviewer um, you know, to sort of sell your story? Well, I, I think that um, uh, for for younger younger adults that move out of college and they go into business interview, uh, one of the three pillars of the uh, athletic department of Harvard, which is academic integration, is where I would go. Uh, basically, um, besides the academics where they learn specific things to apply to business, uh, they uh, we learn a lot of lessons through sports that can help us you know, uh, be successful uh, moving on. And I think those are very important lessons that need to be uh, explained maybe to the interviewer if given a chance. And I think that basically, you know, we, we deal with uh, very ambitious athletes that um, have been uh, really dedicated to perform in two different arenas, you know, the sport chasing some sort of a outcome and obviously the academic part uh, where obviously they also were chasing another outcome. And uh, based on that, based on the dedication and the commitment, you know, they learn the, the, the lessons that probably 
will be the most important to business in their ability to manage their time or manage their energy, as Dr. Lula like to say. Um, I think the ability to uh, be committed to an outcome uh, in not at any cost, but for right reasons. So perseverance, resilience, and so on. Um, I think one of the most important lessons that sport teaches, which is not really in the eye of everyone, is the ability to deal with errors and with failures, you know, because athletes were from very young age, they lose in front of a lot of people. Uh, and so we, we are learned that it's okay, that life goes on and actually we can uh, learn a lot from that and make, and make things better. Um, also athletes are very often called from a very young age to problem solve uh, very quickly under pressure. And so that is a, a quality that I think in business is very, very important. And uh, overall, I think the ability to embrace challenging scenarios and uh, the ability to uh, be comfortable in being out of your comfort zone. I think athletes have to live into that space. Um, and then I think that obviously every single sport has it's been designed a little bit differently from any other right. sport. So you can learn certain things from individual sport, maybe other things from team sports. There are sports that they are more um, error unforgiving. I'm thinking of shooting, archery, or maybe even golf, uh, where if you make a mistake on Thursday, you still can on Sunday. Uh, or sports like tennis, where if you make a mistake, um, you know, in the first game, it doesn't count in the second game. So, um, you know, there are many lessons different from every sport, but I think that a, a student athlete that graduates and move on to the business world should be very proud to have achieved that status and to be able to articulate what they learn uh, through that experience. That, that's great. And, and Dr. Lear, if you had to answer that question, if you were, you know, back in time and you were just applying for your first job and you had your sports experience, you know, how would you, um, you know, articulate that to an interviewer about what you learned? Well, let me just preface it by saying uh, that I've learned that sport is a compressed version of life and that it may take a normal five or 10 years to experience what you experience almost in maybe just a few weeks in competitive athletics. I mean, the highs and lows, um, and as Lorenzo said, you have to figure out how to deal with losing and failure and, um, and you have to figure out how to, how to compete, how to handle stress, how to handle difficult times and difficult people, difficult coaches, maddening you know, press and uh, parents who are completely over their skis with wanting you to you know, perform and beat all these kids or whatever. This last weekend, I, my grandson, who's in the 14s, had to play five matches in one day. He played a quarterfinal in singles, a semifinal and a, and a final. And then he had to play a semifinal in doubles and a final in doubles. He won the doubles and lost in the finals, but he started at eight in the morning and didn't finish until almost seven o'clock at night. And how many things in life are going to push you physically, emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually in terms of he had line calls, players who were calling crazy lines. He had parents screaming and yelling. He, he was fatigued. It was so hot. He had to go through that and try to figure out how am I going to 
how am I going to survive this and focus and stay in the present moment and not get upset with the crazy heat? And I've not been outside. It's been cold here. I haven't been outside on and on and on the conditions and all of that. If it's in the right context, it's going to help him move forward in life. He learned a ton. And uh, so anyone who's been in competitive athletics has had to endure a lot of things that may not have been experienced for maybe almost occasionally and almost never until they get into the real world of business. And so competitive athletics is a gift as long as it's done in the right way and people understand that it's for development of the person, the whole person first and the athlete second, the gifts just keep coming. And, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunities that, that I had. And I started in baseball and went into basketball. I played a lot of basketball and played some collegiately and then played tennis. And I mean, all the lessons that I learned were as, absolutely some of the most important lessons I learned as a human being. And the people outside of my own parents who had the greatest influence on me and my character were my coaches. And I still look back at the people who gave me that opportunity and taught me how to control my emotions, how to reach inside myself and find confidence and self-belief. And those were those brilliant coaches I will never forget. I remember- Yeah, we all have a- Go ahead. Hit me once. I, I was sent by um, the Human Performance Institute to a leadership program in New York City once. And uh, in one of the breakout rooms of this course, these, uh, some of the executives that were present, they were discussing uh, dealing with failures and mistakes. And, you know, they, many of them were proudly saying that when they make mistakes or they do something like uh, they, 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 are, they were able to deal with them and uh, come back strong after you know, a period of time, like a couple of weeks later, they were, they felt really uh, good about it, you know, and, and, and strong again and ready to go. And, you know, and I was listening to all this and then when I when my turn to speak and I said, look, you know, I, I coach kids that they are probably as young as 12 years old. And when they make mistakes in front of everyone and, uh, you know, an audience that cause, you know, they basically have 10 seconds to recover. You know, and that's what I think is makes a big difference. You know, it's uh, the speed of recovering from failure for for an athlete. You know, the even the risk taking that can come along with the the understanding that failure is temporary. Um, you know, is is a incredible lesson that I, I feel like you can learn when you are 12, 14, like uh, Doctor Lur's nephew, uh, sorry, grand grandson, grandson, right? Uh, right. You know, at a very early age, and. Uh, and, and get translated into a good business practice. Yes, and I think that, you know, having the growth mindset versus that sort of fixed mindset that, uh, you know, where, where you know that it's not necessarily, today is not the end of something. Um, and where you also know that when you do push yourself against that limit, that you were able to come up with more than you thought and that it expanded your capacity in the future. And I think that those are the kinds of things that any, any employer is going to be looking for. You right. know, they're not going to want you to come in as this smart guy from Harvard that knows everything, right? Rather, 
I think they'd rather see you as somebody who has the ability to tackle hard problems and continue to grow because over the long term, the investment that they make in you is going to be about what can you bring to the organization over time, not just that first day that you show up. So with that growth mindset, and, it, and it's got to be, you know, relationally, but um, also the, uh, the academic side of things. And, you know, sort of the perseverance, whatever those things are that you can grow in, you bring that to an organization and, and they understand the difference between an athlete who has pushed themselves to those limits and one who is, uh, you know, has maybe given up and said, I just can't do this. This is, it's too hard. You know, I give up. And, and I don't think that any, any athlete that's reached a, a certain level has, you know, at least they've experienced that push. And that, and that growth at some point. And I think that's very valuable to uh, any institution. You know, there's now, a, or I was just going to say, or go ahead, Andrew. No, go, Jim. That's great. Um, yeah, I was just going to say there's a very interesting, to give you some idea of how powerful society is in really embedding a value system inside our heads in terms of external achievement. There was a physician um, by the name of uh, Goldman um, who uh, presented a dilemma over 10 years to uh, aspiring Olympians, the best that he could find. And he repeated this, uh, as I said, for almost a decade. And here was the dilemma. It's an interesting dilemma and for everyone listening. So if you're an Olympian, he said, here is the situation. If I had a pill that I could give you that would ensure you would never lose again. All of your Olympic dreams would come true. You would be the superstar that you have always dreamed of being. The only problem with that is it is cheating. It is cheating, but I can assure you absolutely 100% you will not get caught. Every dream that you have as an Olympian will be fulfilled. And you're gonna do it with a little bit of a shortcut by taking an illegal drug, but you will not get caught. There is one downside, however, that you have to consider. And that is that you will die from taking that drug in five years. So all of your dreams will come true. It is cheating, but you will die in five years from taking the drug. And Every single year he did it, he had over half, 51% or more said they would take that deal. And that gives you some idea of the power of society in driving that as human beings, our success is tied, who we are and the value we have on planet earth is tied to achievement. And without that, there isn't a whole lot. And for me, that was one of the most powerful examples of the, the condition that can take place inside these young men and women who believe that's the essence of everything in life is really winning at all costs, even if it means the loss of their life in five years. I think that also um, brings to, to life the fact that these athletes have the optimism that they have five years for someone to find the antidote to that drug. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> well, or to figure out how to trace it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but yeah. it does, it, it is an indication, right, of that sort of results 
uh, our everything, um, everything else. I mean, I can't even imagine being able to live with myself if I thought, and, and I, I would think how tainted that, that gold medal would have been, you know, if I had had to cheat in order to get it. And so, I don't know, I, I guess that's something that I was brought up with. And um, so, but I think if you're brought up with the opposite, which is, so. you know, you get out there and I'm going to shame you until you win everything. And if you don't win, I'm going to, you know, shame you even more. Um, and so there's the responsibility of a coach and a parent and, and really the environment. And there were some questions in the Q&A about the team environment and the individual athlete environment. And, um, you know, being an individual athlete, I have been on teams um, and, I've, and I've been on Stars on Ice, which I really enjoyed. And that was a team also. But um, I think that when you're on a team, there's a culture. You know, if you're in a rink, there, if you're, if you're uh, in a, a house or, an, uh, um, you know, a family, there's a culture. And if the culture that's taught to you and that's passed down to you uh, is a very powerful one, and it's one that says, you know, win at all costs, then I think it's very much um, incumbent upon you as a person to reverse that for yourself and try to find people that can help you to, you know, get in the direction. Because otherwise, I think you're, it's, it's leading to um, the potential for a lot of unhappiness, to be honest. So right. culture, the culture is created by the coach. Mm -hmm. and by the parent and sometimes those cultures are extremely detrimental to character development and long-term health and happiness i mean it's just and it's because of the distortion that they have in their mindset about what really matters in life and how you you know how you make success of yourself in life and whether it's the tiger mom or the tiger dad there's only one way to show that you are someone and that is not just in sport. There are also cultures in business that actually will have a very similar kind of competitive. And they're looking for people who are obsessed by winning. And in fact, whatever fudging you have to do or whatever um, you know, kind of lines you have to cross, we're about winning here. And you go in there and if you have a very different kind of mindset about what's right and wrong, you are going to be at odds with that culture. And the chance of you changing that culture will probably not occur. Right. Um, and so you're going to have to make a decision as to whether you're going to go and try to find a home for yourself that's more aligned with your deepest purpose, your values, your mindset, and what you believe are the most important elements of a human being, most importantly for you. And so that, that's what sport will help you understand when you can get to the point and you actually can see what really uh, is going on here on this team or on this uh, company uh, leadership squad that you have there. It's basically the same thing. And there's no way that I can imagine Paul now with all that he understands is going to be uh, seduced into a culture that because he's gotten way down that line and he has developed all kinds of assets that help him to steer the ship in the direction he knows is right for him and his family. Right. right. And I think that those questions are best asked probably in the interview or in the research yeah. process. And, and, and you have to listen to what people say about a place and, you know, think about, um, you know, who you really, you know, I think that you have to be honest with yourself and say the culture, it, it's pretty strong and maybe stronger than me. I'm not going to be able to change that. And mm -hmm. so um, have the strength of character of your own to say, 
I don't really need that. Even though it's a lot of money, I'm going to do something else because I think it's going to be in the long run, better fit for me. That's right. moral courage. <laughs> right. Um, I've got a question for Lorenzo here. And, and this is, you know, talking about some of the things we learned from sports, but self-awareness is sort of an underrated factor in your success as an athlete or, or as a business person, knowing your strengths and weakness, honestly, assessing what needs improvement, taking constructive feedback, you know, would be huge for a young person leaving their athletic career and starting off their business career. So, you know, what do you, how, how, how do you see that in your work? Oh, I think uh, self-awareness is one of the muscles that uh, you develop the most by being uh, a competitive athlete. You know, I think that because of uh, the exposure to um, success and, 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 and failure, winning and losses, uh, uh, you are also exposed to the temptation of doing the wrong thing. And, uh, and you get to learn, you know, where, how strong your character is uh, by the, your reply to it but the way you, you answer to the challenges that the environment throws at you. And so if you see yourself, you know, as um, sometimes you are not completely equipped to be the person that you want to be in certain situations, you become very aware very early on of your shortcomings. And if you desire to become a stronger person, uh, you know, both in the area of uh, performance and the, and the moral and social areas, then you have uh, uh, very strong tools uh, to face the truth very early on. And based on your motivation to uh, grow into the person that you want to become, then self-awareness does, uh, does the trick. So I feel that that is one of the biggest benefits sports gives you because you become very, very aware very early on uh, about the way you respond to challenges, hostile environment, and, uh, and uh, you know, unreasonable people. And so you become right. much more aware of your strengths and weaknesses very early on. One, one of the things that I really found valuable um, and Lorenzo and Paul know about this, uh, but you know, in both the business world as well as in the world of sport, you know, we're trying to, in a sense to get home. We're trying to figure out in our lives and getting home has different meanings for everyone, but certainly getting home morally and ethically when you really look at how you wanna live your life and the legacy you wanna leave behind. And we're all navigating in life. We're all trying to figure out how do I get from where I am to where I wanna be before I have no more time left. Um, so, you know, we use this analogy let's say you're getting in your car and you're going to go to a particular place and you're going to use your nav system. The first thing you have to have before you can have any chance of getting there, you have to know exactly what the location is. You have to put not just kind of what the location is, you have to have precision in loading in to that navigational system exactly where you want to end up. And that's really your purpose. Um, that is in fact what you believe is really what your life is all about. And to get there, you have to know exactly what that is. And that's going to be, that's going to include things like what your rules of engagement, who you want to be, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, what are the most important values, core beliefs? That's your destination. And then as Lorenzo said, then we have to really kind of look at where are we now? We have to, so the first is purpose. Truth then has to be when you when you your car cannot get you there if the navigational system cannot figure out where you are now. 
with no fuzziness or haziness, you have to face the truth about your current location, as difficult or embarrassing as it might be. And so this is where I am now, and this is where I want to go. This is who I want to be. And now I have to figure out how to do that. And that and so it's purpose, truth, and then action. And then every day I have to make some kind of investment that will help me close the gap between where I am now and who I am now and where I want to be uh, at the end of my life. And that navigational system will be operating every single day. And the key is awareness, as Lorenzo said, awareness that um, I'm either moving toward or against, I'm either aligned with or not aligned with what I say is most important to me. If I want to get home, I'm going to have to square it up, face the truth, and make investments of my most precious resource, which is my energy, and move closer, take action to get me there. And uh, that truth, purpose, I mean, purpose, truth, and action, I think is a very important metaphor for us all to make sure that we're, we're staying on track. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great stuff. And, and um, there's some questions here in the chat I did wanna ask, and I'm sure you all have kind of been asked this before too, but we have examples of great champions. I mean, they put in, you know, Michael Jordan here, who was not always known as being the best teammate, um, maybe always didn't have the best attitude, obviously a great competitive drive. Um, so when we talk about this, you know, there, there are the other examples out there, counterpoints, perhaps, um, although, I, I mean, I don't know Michael Jordan personally, but how do you answer that question, you know, for, for the group here? I mean, I'll do a very quick jump in. I would say this, that Michael Jordan was obsessed by becoming the best he could possibly be. And his intensity and his commitment, if you look at him in practice, he was trying to make everyone better. And he would push people beyond what they thought they could do to make them better. He was about making everyone on that team step up and be better in every way possible. So he was a spark plug. Yeah, he was a, he was a person who was obsessed about his own achievements, but as a teammate, I mean, people felt they had to step up or they'd be left, be left in the dust. He inspired everyone to reach deeper inside themselves and he did it by example. He worked harder than anyone else to show what could be possible and most importantly in practice. So I think he really was an inspirational team uh, player in the sense that, boy, he was not gonna let you stay where you are. He would make you better. He was gonna help inspire you to be more than you ever thought you could become. I think that the, the most important part of an attitude that um, basically, um, helps uh, an athlete achieve whatever they have to achieve is that they have to, in, in, in a sustainable way, so sustainable success, is that the, the attitude that you bring to life every day, uh, you have to uh, be proud of it, you have to like yourself, and is an attitude that helps yourself perform better. So if it only helps perform better, but at the end you don't like yourself and you're not proud of it, it's unsustainable, because sooner or later you will not want to continue investing energy in that direction. And obviously if you like yourself a lot, but you don't perform well, someone else will take, put the plastic. <laughs> so you have to have where it begins and where it begins is right here. 
right? It yeah. begins with the self-talk with your private voice that you are with, that is with you uh, every single day. And um, you are essentially your best coach or your worst coach, right? And so think about it when you're having something that is going awry, is it, you know, stupid, you know, and, and how do you, you know, mitigate that shame in your own brain? How do you start over and say, you know what? Mistakes happen. This is going to be okay. Take a deep breath. Let's find a solution. Um, and I think that if you have been uh, in an environment where there's a lot of that shaming going on and that yelling and screaming and you did it wrong, um, you're going to have to work maybe a little harder and um, work with people to help you to encourage yourself uh, to do the right thing over and over and to keep in the game. I think, you know, most important is that you just keep swinging at the bat, you know, because right. th things take a long time, <laughs> especially, you know, if they're hard, the harder they are, the more iterations it takes in order to achieve the outcome you're looking for. Great. Um, it, one question we had that was sent in um, earlier, um, and it talks about how we, just what we've been saying here, that sports has a way of exposing your true self um, in, in competition. Uh, in business, it asks, should you try to hide your faults and weaknesses to, to look, you know, uh, the part as a CEO or, you know, sort of an executive or leader? Um, you know, how did you sort of take this same attitude of development into your business life? Um, Doc, you want to start? I'm happy to go or you, you can know, I just go. had a quick, quick comment. I think that, you know, to me, um, um, a great trait of leadership is also uh, be able to be vulnerable and, uh, and, and, and know when you are not uh, as strong as you would like to be. Uh, maybe you can surround yourself with people that have those strengths that you don't have. So to me, you know, leadership is also creating a good team around you that uh, basically complement your strengths and weaknesses while you uh, kind of continue working on your own, on your own strength. So to me, uh, try to be the in and the out and, and pretend that you are someone that you are not, I don't think is, um, is a great way to sustain a long successful career. It takes a lot of energy to be a faker. Um, I do think that uh, it is difficult to, and, and maybe it's the hardest thing um, in a setting like that to say, you know what, I made a mistake. Um, I mean, was it the Fonz, Fonzie, who, who couldn't say he was wrong? You know? And it was a character weakness at the end of the day. You guys don't remember Fonzie. It was a it was happy days. It was a show from way back when. Anyway, um, but I think it is important to be able to admit um, that we all make mistakes and, um, you know, but it, in a, in a setting, um, such as business, I think you have to be very judicious about it. Um, and, you know, especially if it's a public company and those kinds of things, I mean, you, you, I mean, I think that it's more in the interpersonal aspect of it where, um, I think that people, when they are somewhat vulnerable, um, without, you know, being this sort of 10 feet tall and bulletproof thing, uh, that is unattainable. I think that it enables them to have more good relationships with the people that are around them and that becomes more supportive and they become more successful over time. I was very fortunate to have an opportunity to step into the culture of the Blue Angels and 
George Dom, Commander Dom, um, I ask him, um, when you're recruiting people to be a Blue Angel, um, which is probably one of the highest compliments you will ever have as a, as a pilot, what are you looking for? And I assumed that he would say competency as the number one criteria. And I was really quite, although this aligned itself perfectly with the, with the research that we had done. And he said, humility. Humility is number one because arrogance is what gets pilots killed. And um, this talk about a team sport where literally inches separate, you know, death from, you know, having an opportunity to fly again. Um, competency was number two. And so you have to have this extraordinary competence and it's really balancing confidence with humility. If you don't have enough confidence, you get insecurity. And that also is a catastrophe. But in leaders in business, if you have someone who has this arrogance um, kind of quality about them, it's very hard for you to ever feel secure. And actually there's a, it's a, it's a major issue in your ability to connect with them because they give the impression that they are often the only one who gets it right and if there is a problem, it's always relegated. The problems go downhill to some subordinate who actually screwed up. It's rarely them. But mm. when you're around someone who's always saying, you know, I'd love to hear more about that. I, I'm not sure I understand that completely. That's an area I'm really, I need more understanding. And you actually create the sense that you're always curious, always need to learn and always want to get better that is one of the most powerful attributes and that is a character strength. Humility is not a weakness, it is a strength. When paired with confidence, it gives you this ability to lead in a way that people really, really respond to you. So, um, you know, um, arrogance, even though you're at the top of the rung can be problematic. Right. Um, there's there's so many good questions that are you know coming from this discussion here, and uh, I want one more here for us to think about. It, it says you know everyone in business has to overcome the fear of failure, and of course top athletes do as well. Any concise thoughts on, or words on how someone starting a new job post graduation should reflect on to sort of help them you know put this in context or, or give them a push on their way? I think that when I work with my athletes, I try to make them reflect if fear of failure is actually fear of failure uh, or it is actually fear of judgment uh, when fail because failure itself at least in sports business could be obviously different but it is uh, it, it doesn't have like these incredible repercussions but you know uh, we are very much concerned about how our other people see us and the judgment that they make upon us so i think that once we associate a negative kind of uh, reputation based on the failure that we, we um, experience, then we go into the space of fear. And very often this judgment, uh, it doesn't really come from others anymore. You know, we are probably the worst possible uh, critics of ourselves. And so when we are in a competitive event, 
the fear of failure is most likely fear of our own judgment at the end of uh, the event. And, and so I think that creating, like Paul was saying before, like a good inner voice that, uh, that uh, helps you do constructive criticism, but avoids make this uh, permanent judgment on yourself is kind of crucial for fear of failure. That's my take. Yeah, I love I love this notion that you know, in a you really look at the the way in which we learn. A no, a failure is just a no. It means you're not finished baking yet. You still have more to learn. And if you just accept it, if you get only yeses, you never figure out how to improve to the next level. So no's come very, very strategically and helping you understand that there's a process you don't fully have yet. If you were to ask, if you look at Novak Djokovic's backhand down the line, is it one of the most beautiful, you know, it's almost perfection. But if you were to ask him how many times he missed a backhand down the line in drills and all the practicing and all the matches he's played, it's in the millions maybe tens of millions. And if he hadn't accepted that, he couldn't have really honed this incredible ability to execute under pressure. He had to have a lot of no's. And the same is true with, uh, with uh, you know, Fed's forehand or with the triple that um, Paul was able to execute. How many times, Paul, did you have to fall and suffer falling, meaning that, that you still don't have it quite right yet. How many times did you, and if you got upset with every time you fall, it ruins your confidence. It undermines your belief that you can ever do it. You have to pick yourself up and say, I just don't have it yet, but I will get it. I will be one of the best in the world. I'm an Olympic caliber. If I can get this, I will get it done. Is that true with you, Paul? Yeah, I mean, it was thousands. <laughs> Unfortunately, and and I think that the really important thing is that um, you have to be able to see that moment, um, almost like as a blue sky. You know, if you could use blue sky as a verb to to sort of write the future and say, I want this to happen for myself, and this is how it will look frame by frame, because it's very difficult in that moment when you know that that particular jump and the outcome of it will affect literally the rest of your life and the way that you look back on this career that may, for me, it was over 20 years. And whether I had a success or failure on the triple axle at the Olympics in the short program, especially with the huge story about the year before when I missed it, it I had to be able to take that moment and, and go through it and risk it because there is a moment where in, in, as you're in the present, there is, you have to step on the edge, get your arms back and go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think risk is a part of And it of becomes life. a metaphor for life, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a part of life. And um, so, uh, you know, and actually, you know, these days there's, you know, people have so many more jobs and that means they get laid right. off or they leave it or whatever. And so there's right. so many transitions compared to what there used to be. So, so as an athlete, you're really ready for that more than anybody else. So I want to say, uh, you know, good luck. And, you, you know, you're, you're well prepared. 
get on your way to falling a lot and get back up and get after it. That's it. <laughs> oh, this is this is this has been great. I think our hour is up, and I know there's so much more to talk about. Um, and and you know this kind of kind of conversation will go on. I think for a long time um, for all of us, but thanks for giving us so much to think about. Um, thanks for all of your time. Um, you know, we just so appreciate it. And so nice to see all of you here together. Um, so I'm so appreciative of it. So thank you um, to everybody that tuned in from all over. Um, you know, this was this has been great and uh, we'll uh, onwards and uh, we'll, we'll uh, hopefully be able to meet up again at Harvard uh, in the future, um, see everybody live.